Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. We're continuing the theme of empowering youth this week. So fortunate to be hearing from an expert on the science of confidence and leadership development for women and girls, Julie Carrier. I do not know anyone more passionate than my dear friend about advocating and supporting girls and young women. Julie, thank you for joining me. Molly, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's always fun to be with you, my friend. So your journey is uh, to be a leading global authority, right, is an inspiring story in itself for how you developed your career. Um, we know leading others starts with being able to lead oneself. And would you please share a bit about your own story? Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I used to work as a senior management consultant at the Pentagon doing a lot of this work with senior executives. And it wasn't until I started really thinking about what changed my life and what allowed me to go from someone with crippling anxiety to uh, speaking on stages and leading events. And I realized that it happened when I was younger. In fact, uh, when I was 14 years old, I had a mentor and a speaker changed my whole life and helped me understand that confidence is a learned skill. So that's actually why I decided to leave my job at the Pentagon and literally go out into the world doing the same type of leadership principles and practices that work for adults, but actually bringing them to young people and young women. That's amazing. So I want to just go back to this. Um, it, it sounded like, and we've talked about this, this was this dream job. Everyone thought Julie had the dream job. <laughs> Except Julie, so share a bit about how you were true to yourself. That's not that easy to do. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I um, I really felt honored to work at the Pentagon. I got to work with heroes every single day. And uh, shortly after 9-11, and I literally was in this space where, you know, when people were running out of the, the building at the Pentagon, these heroes that I worked with were running in to save people. So it was it was an incredible environment to, to be able to serve and support those amazing individuals with leadership and communication and creative thinking skills. But I I realized that as much as I felt honored to be in that job, my passion really made me feel excited. What what gave me energy was whenever I would talk to young people. And so I started really kind of distilling that down. Like, why why is it that when I volunteer and speak at a, a leadership conference for young people, I feel like I drank 10 cups of coffee and can live off of that energy for a month? And so I think that's a way our body communicates with us. If we feel energized or filled up from something, I think that's part of what we're meant to do. So uh, after that time of reflection, and many people at that, that space were thinking about, you know, a lot in their lives, I realized that as much as I felt honored to work at the Pentagon, it was time for me to leave and actually pursue my calling to support youth. Amazing. A shout out for our listeners and this uh, kudos to Julie and to, to really give your time to do the reflection and that self-awareness is what gives us the ability to find the true north. I think a mm-hmm. lot of folks are looking around for it, which is obviously great to look at other examples. But at some point, you've got to really listen, listen inside, and that can be hard. Were there any tough conversations? I'm curious. You know, parents, I think, I remember oh, yeah. doing something very different than my parents. <laughs> so tell me a little bit. Of, were they really trying to, to, to convince you not to, or, or how, did that, how did that go? Yes, what's what's interesting is, you know, the people we love, they do care about us, but they don't always have access to the same information that we do on the inside. And so on the surface, I had checked all those boxes. I had a very prestigious job managing a a big team of people, developing interactive, brain-based, neuroscience-based leadership development curriculum at at an organization like the Pentagon. And um, I was planning to leave that job and to go be a speaker and an advocate for girls, young women, and, and teens. 
so um, many people, actually every single person um, that was in my close circle except for one, who at the time was my boyfriend and he's now my husband, everyone thought I was crazy. They're like, Julie, what are you doing leaving this stable, great-sounding job to go be a speaker for, for kids and girls? But what I realized, because I had actually checked off all of the boxes on my to-do list and all of the boxes on my goal list and my proverbial happiness didn't arrive, I realized that no amount of checking those boxes that the world tells us is important will bring us that joy we're looking for. That's why sometimes we have to take the harder step to really going deep, listening to ourselves and stepping outside our comfort zone because outside our comfort zone is where real happiness and joy lives. Oh, such words of wisdom. Amazing. Thank you for that. Can we talk about the, the crippling anxiety? Because anyone who's seen you, like the fact that you could have <laughs> crippling anxiety is the most hilarious thing I've heard today. So talk about that. Yeah, you know, again, it's interesting when I speak on stages or I do live events, people are like, Julie, you're so confident and you can just get up there and connect with everyone. And I often think to myself, if you only knew the journey that I had to go on to actually get to this place, you wouldn't be surprised at all. Because what I, what I learned when I was younger um, is that you know, anxiety can hold you back. It can prevent you from being a part of things. It makes you feel like an outsider, like you're just never going to fit in. And as I had more mentors in my life step in and say, Julie, nervousness is normal. Anytime you try to do something new, you're going to feel a little anxious or nervous. It helped me start to use anxiety as just a data point instead of the counsel for my life. And so I realized, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about applied neuroscience and the science of confidence, because uh, what, what moved me in that direction is to realize that if I can go from that girl with crippling anxiety through lots of effort and hard work and actually learn how to be confident, then anybody can do it. That's crazy awesome. What a way to turn struggle uh, into success and, and reframe that anxiety. So let's move on because the science of confidence. Share with us uh, the learnings. What would you like folks to know about this key topic? Yeah, you know, this is uh, one of those subjects that we could literally talk for three days about <laughs> the science and the behind the scenes. Uh, while there is so much fascinating data and research and information, one of my goals has been to take that research and translate it into actionable strategies that people can use to shift their mindset, shift how they feel, and allow them to step up in bigger and bolder ways. So I think the number one thing that I want people to know is they need to start changing their language. The number one thing I hear, especially women, even young women say is, oh, I, I talk to myself so negatively. I have so much negative self-talk. And the reality is, if we look at it from a neuroscience perspective, what we've often been taught to label as negative self-talk is actually not you at all. It's a part of the brain with very outdated programming known as the default mode network that tries to keep people safe by keeping them small. So when people do finally step outside their comfort zone and say, I'm going to ask for that raise, or I'm going to try to get that promotion, or I'm going to try to apply for that college scholarship, and that default mode senses that, wow, this is outside of this person's comfort zone, it's going to fill that person with lots of negative automatic chatter to prevent that person from taking action on something that's making them potentially not be safe. Now, we know that's not true. We know this programming worked in the prehistoric era where people needed to literally not not shake the, the boat or make waves to, to get kicked out of the cave, but modern rules of success are different. Modern rules of success require us to step outside our comfort zone. So we're dealing with modern age success with stone age programming. And when we start to understand that, that negative internal chatter starts to, starts to have a lot less power over us. Well, I can imagine everyone out there having an aha. Uh, this is amazing. What, what's some, what are some of the tactics? I mean, this is an epiphany. What other things do you do to coach uh, the, the young people you work with to, once they've realized this insight, actionable things that they can do to reinforce going out of their boundaries? 
Yeah, absolutely. The number one thing is related to what we just talked about is to realize that the default mode network is not you. Automatic negative chatter is not you. Negative self-talk is actually not you. It's from this antiquated program. One of the ways we reinforce that idea, and I actually, this is a technique that was developed out of Stanford by Dr. Carol Dweck. It works equally as well for adults as it does for young people. It's to literally take an action that further externalizes that voice as separate from who you really are. So one of the, the techniques I bring audiences through, whether it's a keynote or a workshop or a seminar, is to literally have them visualize if that inner critic was actually a human being, what would it look like? And in fact, to visualize it as someone who has the best of intentions but just doesn't know any better. So my inner critic, for example, when I visualize her, I see someone with um, like perfect hair in a, in a really tight bun and she's carrying a clipboard and she's making a judgy face. And actually the next step after that is to name the inner critic. So my inner critic, we're getting personal here, my inner critic is named Vitriolica. So every time, you know, I take take that step outside my comfort zone or I'm doing something new, of course she's going to chime in. You literally engage with the inner critic as if you're talking to someone who just doesn't know any better. So for the research perspective, I actually say, hey, you know, Vitriolica, I know you're concerned for me. I just need you to know you've got to sit this one out because I got this. So just literally engaging with the inner critic as if it is separate from you helps to withdraw its power and allows you to step out in boldness. I have the biggest smile on my face. I've just had this epiphany. (laughs) The, The coaching work I did is around this relationship dimension, and there was an exercise around just this. And now I'm kind of putting the two together. It's fascinating Mm -hmm. because I call this getting a good relationship with yourself because that's a Mm -hmm. part of us, right? And so mm-hmm. here you are creating a great connection and a more empowering because as you said, in the past, that vitriolica <laughs> served you, right? She was right. protecting you. And now you're mm-hmm. like, look at, I got it. I don't need that protection. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit to parenting with young people. Thoughts about um, what you've observed, any suggestions you have for those folks? We know parents always want the best for their children. However, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily always manifest quite that way. Anything you care to share on that topic, Julie? Yes, I think, first of all, um, especially in this season, every parent, caring parent, deserves a gold medal. You know, being a parent is one of the toughest and most important jobs in the world. And one of the things that I find, because I do have programs where I coach young people and I I get to hear their innermost thoughts about family and parenting and relationships, Uh, the number one biggest thing I hear from young people is that they wish their parents, they say listened more, but what they really mean is ask more questions. I actually think young people know a lot more than we give them credit for. And in fact, one of the ways that they realize what they know or frame their beliefs is by asking them questions instead of them, you know, you saying, oh, I think you should go to this college, really getting into a conversation that's more of a coaching conversation. The most effective parents are actually parent coaches. I love that. And for listeners, we've heard about the meta skills, the energy, this notion of curiosity and coming forth with that, not in a judging way, of course, but really genuinely open. And that is uh, for lots of folks, a real sign of respect, right? To be asking mm-hmm. questions and really open to hearing the answers. So let's switch gears. Organizations far and wide have gotten the message about embracing you know, all of their talent, embracing mm-hmm. diversity in the workplace. Um, you and I have you know, come through different workplaces. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of great progress for sure that's been made. We have a long ways to go, I think. Thoughts, Julie, on what you're observing, what's, what's not working, what's working. Um, I, know, I know folks want to create you know, more empowered workplaces for everyone to shine. Absolutely. I think that the, the piece that's missing uh, is that, especially when young people enter the workforce, that is a prime opportunity to develop 
the leadership of an organization. A lot of times people will wait till they become mid-level managers or senior management before they get leadership development opportunities. But if we look at how um, plastic the brain is, and especially in times of transition, those are peak periods where organizations can really benefit from investing in their new talent. So I would especially say the piece that's missing for many organizations is not to treat new hires as an afterthought, to actually treat them as a prime leadership development opportunity for those upcoming leaders that they're going to become. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I do want to pause and just, I know we, we could talk all about this, but you did do a very innovative uh, girls leadership program. Share a little bit about what differentiated that um, and a little context. So that's fascinating how you've led the charge on that. Yeah, you know, I think, um, so I actually believe that it's not just when it comes to organizations, leadership development of new hires. I actually believe leadership development should start uh, at a young age. So, for example, I was honored to team up with an amazing principal who's a visionary in girls' education to help support a, an applied neuroscience leadership development curriculum that's taught as part of the academic school day. So just like students go to math or science class, they actually go to an experiential, immersive, applied neuroscience leadership class where we bring in exercises and experiences that are proven to have long-term impact on leader identity as well as leadership-related behaviors. And so we're finding in our pilot year two of this high school, these girls are just growing at an astronomical rate in terms of their capacity to communicate and lead and uh, influence. And so uh, it's very exciting. We're, we're groundbreaking new territory here, really starting to change the paradigm of what traditional education can look like. Oh, I love it. The workplace is changing and you're helping evolve the education system. Julie, what aren't you doing? So amazing. Let's talk about the boys. Um, and I've, you know, I have a lot of empathy for the boys because I think this world, which is fantastic to be nurturing, supporting women and girls very, very publicly. I do feel mm-hmm. there's a risk um, and I'd love us to be even more inclusive. Talk mm-hmm. to me about, you know, what you're seeing in, with engaging the boys and the girls in this leadership work and perhaps even into the workplace, what you're observing. Absolutely. Thank you again for asking that, Molly. I think it is important that we support all young people, young men and young women. And in fact, one of the things that we found at this amazing leadership school is there is a a comparable school that is all boys and it's um, in the same area and a lot of the parents are like, well, what about the boys? And I agree. Young men deserve to have leadership development just like young ladies. That's why we're actually uh, trying to figure out how we can best serve and support them because leadership skills are leadership skills, whether you're a young man or a young woman. I think um, they do. we do need to emphasize how young men and young women, at least according to research, can learn differently. So, for example, with the girls' leadership curriculum, Pretty much every example, every quote, every role model is a woman, a woman in science, a woman of diversity, because research actually shows that young women actually need to see it to be it, that they actually need to see other women in certain roles and leadership responsibilities in order to see themselves in that space, because historically there has been a a huge leadership divide in visibility between women leaders and men leaders. Now, the great news is for young men, they can learn if they see a woman leader in a role or a responsibility or a man. So that would be the one big different differentiator between like a girls program and a young men's program. Now, if it's a program for young men and young women, I say we just make sure to include an appropriate number of women role models and representatives in that space. Yeah, I love see it to be it. And I know in the places that I've worked, we've always used the word optics and, you know, people can say all they want, but if people don't look up, literally look up and see it, uh, to your mm-hmm. point, it really is hard to believe it, uh, quite mm-hmm. honestly. So I think that's a great call out. I appreciate your, you know, being willing to be personal for us. I, I'd like to take it back to you. And I know, you know, you're so passionate. Everything you do makes an insane impact. Uh, you've got this amazing husband, two great dogs. Talk about how, you know, the challenge of dialing it down for you to do some of the self-care so that you can be your best you. Um, how easy or how difficult is that for you? 
Molly, and I have to give you a major shout out here. You're brilliant and talented and also an amazing example of the importance of restoration. And I'll call you my, my, my good friend and also coach in this because I think what's interesting is when we do find our passion or what we feel like is part of our purpose here on earth, it is very easy for that to become all consuming. And the, the <laughs> progression of events a number of years ago led to me to have burnout and I was so exhausted I couldn't even get out of bed some morning. So I realized the hard way that restoration and taking time to energize and refill yourself is not a luxury. It's actually a necessity to be able to perform at the highest levels of service that people deserve. And you were really powerful in helping me to understand that. So what I actually do is I have myself when I'm home on a rigorous schedule. Uh, It's not always easy to keep, but it includes the most important ways I take care of myself as the first things that I actually do in the morning. If I save it to later in the day, it just doesn't happen. So I've learned in the terms of the way that I work, everything that's the most important thing for restoration has to happen within the first hour of my day. <laughs> you go. You know I'm always cheering for you, Julie. Way to go. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. So, um, I, you know, of course, I could continue the rest of the day, but I have to let you go. Before I do, uh, what tough conversation or sensitive situation can I help you be more skillful with? Yes. Well, thank you. You're brilliant at being able to word things the best possible way. So especially in this season, I do have um, a number of clients that I've done things for free for in order to serve and support them. And uh, now they're starting to ask for more and more services for free. And the reality is I have a very limited time and I also have a team of people that I need to support. So how would we navigate saying no or redirecting that conversation? So thank you for bringing this up. And my first question to you is, what would you want to have happen? Would you, do you have the bandwidth to do more fee work or would, you know, that part of this is just your intention. So help me with what you'd like to have happen. Yeah. So I I think I have the bandwidth to do the work, but in order to sustain my company and my team, that, that work would need to be compensated. Fantastic. So the, the first thing always starts within. And so, no guilt, you know, think about how you're feeling. Do you feel a little, do you feel worried? Do you feel sorry? What's your mm-hmm. state about this? Um, I think I feel, you know, I, I care about them and I think they're great. Um, but I feel almost like, okay, I've already done so much for free already. And now you're asking for more. I kind of feel disrespected. Great. This is the self-awareness, being good relationship with yourself. It's legitimate how you feel and to be whole with that. And, and I'm going to say this is a chance to let it go because <laughs> that energy of feeling disrespected, which is very legitimate, so I want you to honor that for you, probably is going to put them in the situation to be responding the way you'd like, right? So for all of our listeners, letting that go. And think about this notion of positive, optimistic that they're going to be like, of course, we would want to pay you. You know, I can't believe we didn't even sit, right? So you go in that energetically and just say, hey, let's just refresh and, and a little bit of shared reality. We did this and this, and I want you to know that I love you guys and I want you to be successful. And I did offer, and whatever the discount that you gave them, Julie, don't be bashful letting them know. And so part of it is I've got this business to run to help them understand what it's like for you. You know, I, I appreciate mm-hmm. your work and I've got these people and they rely on me. And so it puts me in a tough situation so they appreciate tough and say, so what I'd be comfortable with is this and you just put it out there what you're comfortable with. And in a way, so it's not unlike Alan Mulally, the top behaviors, you know, you can do them or not do them. If that works for you, great. And if not, I could be helpful for you in finding someone else or what have you. But you give them some mm-hmm. options um, and help them just see what it's like for you. That is great, Molly. Spoken like the brilliant, amazing world changer you are. I so appreciate that and appreciate the amazing work you're doing on this podcast and, and so many other places. I, uh, I am um, your biggest fan. You are a huge inspiration for me, my friend. Um, I thank you for taking time. I thank you for always being part of the solution and you know where to reach me and we'll be in touch soon. Absolutely. And I'm excited. I think you have a couple of young lady callers who are going to be calling you and talking with you, correct? 
I do. And there, courtesy of you, some folks that have had the luxury of spending time with who couldn't be a better mentor. And I'm going to look forward to welcoming them just as soon as we uh, transition. That'll be Miriam. Yay! And, and well, they're amazing and they know you're amazing. So they're very excited. Miriam and Naval are just, just extraordinary young women. Yeah, I'm so grateful. We'll talk to you soon, Julie. You take good care. All right. Thanks, Molly. Bye. Ciao. So with that, wow, could we have a better introduction? Miriam Nival, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's so great to have you gals join us. And why don't you just share a little bit about how you connected with Julie and uh, you know, a little context, and then we'll go and get your Say It Skillfully question. Sounds good. So um, we're twin activists, journalists, and filmmakers, and also the co-executive directors of our nonprofit, The World with MNR. Um, we basically use advocacy, storytelling, and development to take action for climate justice, gender equality, and inclusivity. We actually just released our first feature-length documentary film about girls' education in Pakistan. Um, and so we met Julie through our work. We were at the Girl Up Leadership Summit in Washington, and um, that was basically where we met her and um, get, got started with our work with her. Mm-hmm. And it was um, she was doing a workshop, and we attended her workshop, and it was just you know life changing for us because of her, her like um, you know like when she explains more about like negative self talk and how to combat that and everything. And so it was really exciting to be able to meet her and. Um, that's how we got connected, and uh, we've been working together since. And so it's been a really awesome journey together. I am wowed. I'm wowed, wowed, wowed. And, you know, for, I often say my generation is leaving the planet kind of in a mess, and I, I sometimes can get kind of depressed. And then I, you know, I cross paths with brilliant souls like you, and I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay because they're going to fix everything that we screwed up. Um, so uh, before we get into your Say It Skillfully Challenge, I know you got a question lined up. Uh, would you share a bit about the two of you doing this journey together and, you know, how you figured out how to, you know, you're relating as sisters, but also as, you know, partners, colleagues, and that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Yeah, um, I feel like uh, we've gotten, when we were younger, we used to do a lot of things separately, and it was because we were, like, in different classes at school and things, but really in high school, we started having some of the same classes, and we figured out that in school projects, like, we work really well together. Um, We have a similar work ethic, and we find that some of, like, some of the things that um, I do, I'm involved, like, are are better than the things that Marion does, and so what we found was that we can, you know, divide and conquer, basically, for school projects. Um, and then we started discussing more ideas about things that we wanted to do together um, beyond, like we used to work in Pakistan with a girls' school there. And so that was one of the projects that ever since we were eight years old, we did together. But other than that, we didn't do much. So um, we decided that it would be best for us to um, come together for everything that we wanted to do. And we found that we had a lot of the same interests and things. We explored different things too, but um, yeah, we found that we just... Uh, we just click. So um, it, it has been uh, a really great uh, experience working together. That's a fantastic. Miriam, do you recall when there were conflicts, edginess, or, you know, competing versus collaborating? Share a bit. Can't, cannot have been all roses. I feel like um, with us, it's not, we've never really been competitive. It's more like, let's, how do we um, end up being the same? Because like when our interests did like combine and like we started doing a lot of the same work and things like that, it's like, um, we always try to make sure that like in whatever way we can, like if we're like doing a school project, we're both, you know, putting in our equal effort. We study together and everything too. And it's like, it's strange because even if some some of the classes that we have, like we'll we'll have the same ones, but they're at different times and we'll get different grades and everything. But our average will end up being the same and so like that's our goal and so like if we wanted to you know go into university and things like that and our like um the work that we've been doing is the exact same we wanted to make sure that our grades would also match so that there wouldn't be a differentiating factor um that would prevent one of us from getting into the school that we wanted to go to or whatever um when it comes to conflict though i think like it'll be um 
sometimes we do have differing opinions about like like the, if we're designing something or you know making a certain edit for a video we're like you know it should be this way versus that way but then I feel like we come to a consensus and um, it works out like I feel like when it comes to the work that we do um, because we've learned how to work together and collaborate over the over the years like it's been like all of the high school so four years or so so we've developed this sense of like this is what you know Miriam's going to do this is what Naval's going to do and so there hasn't really been a sense of competition if anything it's like how do we make sure that we're both on the same field or like um, if one of us does well in something and the other one doesn't do as well like we both feel bad that we didn't do the same and so it's like it's um, I don't know it's, it has been very um, like a really positive relationship and we're, we're happy that we were able to work together because um, in this way we're able to you know get a lot more done and so yeah it is pretty positive yeah I've heard magical things about the twin relationship <laughs> I've always thought it's just this special gift and the special connection um, that you yeah. have in life. I'm curious individually, separately, um, and you know, Julie's a big growth person. I've got growth areas. I'm curious here and now for each of you, what are particular growth areas that you're focused on in your own development? Um, and this is Naval. So for me, I think um, I, when I was younger, I used to really love writing. And um, I feel like in high school, I just haven't gotten a chance to spend that time to write as much or improve my skills. And um, I would just really like to focus more on that um, because I really did enjoy it. And I still do. But um, I feel like especially amid uh, quarantine and, and like the COVID 19 pandemic um as we've all been staying home I've, I've been getting more time to just sit down and write but um it, it's like it takes time to be able to um trust yourself and like not be so overly critical about what you're doing i think i need to just think about like how I, I need to stop being so critical about myself and just write so yeah that's like one area that i would really um like to improve and uh, continue to grow yeah, nice. and um, nice. for me, this is Miriam. Um, I think for me, it would be uh, things like film editing. Like a lot of the time, um, when we're when we're making movies or we're shooting, um, you know, episodes for like um, our social media pages and things like that. Um, like I'll be the one who most, mostly focuses on the filming aspect of it. Um, but when it comes down to like sitting and editing, because it can take hours on end, and um, sometimes I'm not really that that patient with the work, and Naval will do most of the editing. Um, so, like, I feel like now I've gotten the opportunity to focus on that more, like, actually give it time and develop the skills of, like, you know, being able to stay with a project long enough, even if it is taking forever. Um, so I guess now that, like, you know, everyone, everything's on pause, like, I have more time and I've been able to, you know, um, develop that sort of patience to be able to stay with that project in the editing phase as well as the filming and the creating phase of it. So, Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to delay one more thing before your question. So what advice do you have for the adult listeners out there about connecting with young people? I'll be fair, open question. Any kind of advice you'd like to give for us grown-ups? <laughs> yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things is to not underestimate the power of young people. Um, we And one of the things that we find is that um, the, often the disconnect happens because um, uh, like young people are th thought as being like careless or whatever. There's like stereotypes, right, of teenagers especially. But I think that this generation, um, what we're seeing more and more is that with like girls like Greta or um, Malala, that girls are really, uh, girls and boys as well who are our age, um, are really passionate about the future of our planet, about taking care of others, and we're a lot more, I guess, um, like we, we care about each other and we're more inclusive and all of these things need to be recognized. And so um, I feel like our voices should be heard in that light as well and we should be considered as important uh, contributors of, you know, decision-making and things like that. And so um, that's one thing, whether it's parents thinking about their kids or, uh, you know, adult figures in, in the lives of youth. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that you, you shouldn't underestimate the power of young people and um, you should take them seriously. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Love yeah, it. I, I agree. 
And um, like just one more thing, like when I, I feel like when, when young people come out like um, and speak to adults, like it, it should again, like you should come from a place of like understanding versus like, you know, I feel like this applies to everyone, not just a relationship between young people and um, adults, like just like coming without preconceived notions of who they're going to be or what they're going to be like. Um, and then just like see where the conversation takes you, because if you come in from that perspective, there's just a lot that we can both learn from each other and it'll just be much more impactful than just like a simple like you know conversation where we're both coming in with our you know pre if we can leave notions or judgments about each other and then we don't really get anywhere and so um being keeping an open mind and then learning from each other um is also something that can prove uh, really effective in communications with, between adults and um, youth but also like other connections as well yeah, you folks are genius because those principles all underpin saying it skillfully, of course. We do want to hear all voices. Uh, okay, so now let's hear it. What is your sensitive situation or tough conversation that I might be able to help you with? Yeah, so um, basically, like, we wanted to ask about how to make effective introductions when meeting individuals in, like, event settings or, like, when in a, in a professional setting, because a lot of the work that we do, it takes us to, like, international conferences and, like, spaces where often we're, like, the youngest people in the room, but um, and we want to know how do we introduce ourselves in these situations in an impactful yet, like, concise way? This is a great one, and I, ha- I can't believe you're already doing it, so it'll be all about improving. I do think the first thing is just appreciating your audience person, whoever that person is, and thinking about what they need to know, and that may yeah. take some homework. So, that, so in the more specific situations, I think you have time to prep for that. In an overall sense, this is the chance to be you know, who you want to be for the world. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. It's not about the other. It is about, I think, from you girls just being authentic and passionate. And, and it's, it's great to think about three things, right? And whether that's some folks really relate to where they're from, right? Some people, it's about, you know, we want to be known as one, two, and three things. And that might be the impact mm-hmm. that you have. Um, you're young, so I think that's a real asset. You know, we're young folks on a tear. Um, and if you're in trying to get people and involving them ways that they can be helpful, it's about the, the knowing the three things, like never more than three, I call it. Um, and then also in, in your delivery and it takes a bit of practice. So anyone who comes up and spews off, Oh, I'm Molly, da, 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 da. And you're like, wow, that sounds great. It's only because they've done it a thousand times. Yeah. (laughs) So I encourage you to step back and say, wow, when we leave the room, people have interfaced with us, what do we want them to think? Like what, do you, what yeah. is the outcome? And um, in, in a concise way, and then everything you say, and importantly, how you say it, telegraphs that. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, definitely. That's so helpful. Thank you. So this is what we'll do. You guys work on that, and then we'll connect offline, and I'm happy to have you guys dry run it through me. And folks and listeners have always heard, you use that voice memo on your phone, talk it in the phone and then listen to yourself yeah. and say, wow, does that sound, <laughs> do I sound inspiring yeah, to myself? Because that's, that's the best yeah, way to, um, to hone it. Okay. Uh, I yeah. am so delighted. I feel so blessed for dear Julie for crossing paths with you. You are shining brightly. I am here for you, cheering for you. Anything Thank I can you do, so you much. let me know. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I want to thank you for being part of the solution and uh, we'll be in touch before long. Okay. Take good care. Okay, I am, wow, this can get, not, it's going to get even better, but I am welcoming uh, Jackson from Delaware to the call with his State Skillfully Challenge. Jackson, welcome. Uh, hi, Molly. How are you? I am doing fine, my friend. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Finally finished freshman year. Uh, excited for the summer. Woohoo! Wow, we are, uh, is this a sophomore, <laughs> rising sophomore? What's the right lingo to use here? Uh, I suppose rising sophomore, yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. So what is on your mind today, Jackson? How can I help you? So I I do consulting work at school, and one of the leaders in my consulting group, um, I, I was in a scenario with him. He's a senior with much more experience than me, and he was choosing to pursue a goal that seemed pretty unreachable to me with the recent uh, situation. I thought it would make a lot more sense to pursue a different goal and focus our attention towards that. However, when I voiced my opinion, 
The leader listened, thanked me for sharing my concern, and then continued as if I hadn't spoken up. How would you advise I handle a situation like this? Wow. Big senior BMOC. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it two ways. We'll take it in the moment, and then we might take it in a setup. To, um, to, to see how we could change the course of that. Can you give me a bit of the um, wording? Like, how did you actually approach it with him, just so I hear what you said? Um, I think I just kind of stopped the meeting as it was going, because it, uh, it was over Zoom. It's a team of about seven people. And I, I just kind of asked him to reconsider. I said, this, this is great. However most of the data that we'd be able to gather wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be relevant because with the current outbreak of corona, it's going to change everything about it. And at the same time, the, the people we need to gather the data from are not currently available and have much more pressing concerns. And that was reflected with when we did pursue this, none of us got a response. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That helps me out. So I'm just going to call this person Tom. So Tom's kind of said, okay, great, Jackson, super, and then just goes on. And so you give it a a minute or so. Hey, you know, one second, Tom. Tom, I'm sorry, everyone. I obviously own it. I obviously was not communicating very well. And I know all of us want to be part of this super wildly successful project. So, and that is this notion of you're really positive, you're setting up this, I know we'd all want to do um, what was right for the team. And, you know, and, I, and I'm looking around, I'm looking, I know that if I were taking us off track, I'd want you to hold us back. And Tom, um, I respect you as leader, but I just, I want to make sure that we're really not missing something because I know you wouldn't want us to make a wrong move, right? So that's kind of a way to open that door. I'll, I'll pause for a moment. Mm. Does that make yeah, that makes sense. That's a good good opener. And then what do you recommend just repeating? Okay. So then, so, so uh, let me just, I just really want to make sure we all understand. So at this point, it's not just about you being the kind of lone voice. I just want to make sure we're, so this is the shared reality, all on the same page. Question about, you know, the, could help us understand how, how that data is relevant. Now, not in a judging, snarky tone, right? So just really curious. And so then, short question and then put it back on Tom to have him answer. I'm, you know, I'm, we're wondering, what do you think it's like for the folks who are going to, we're going to be calling Tom in terms of their bandwidth. So what you're encouraging is that other person to put themselves in the, in other folks shoes, which is really hard because we're always in our shoes, right? We're doing what we think we want to do. And what you're, I think showing is we, we have to consider our stakeholders. Okay. Mm. So that's the questioning thing, and, and it's important. I am not trying to be disrespectful with the team. I know that if I were in your shoes and I might be missing something, which we all miss sometimes, Tom, I would want to do this. So it's very collaborative. We're all learning together, very positive. You know, you're the olive branch, and, you know, you least create an opportunity for dialogue. Now, if he starts to get hair on fire, his eyes are burning, he looks really angry. Whoa, Tom, I'm really sorry. I, I did not mean to make you angry at all. That was not my intention. You know, we're all here on this project. We all want to help the world be better and do something positive, you know, in this corona land. So please accept my apology for that. So you work with the emotion that you're getting from Tom. Okay. That, that seemed like potentially workable. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. I'll definitely keep that in mind during our next meeting. That's great. And so now going into these things, it's a bit of the, um, you know, before it gets, you, you want to offer a different point of view, which was great. And so I think the same principles um, apply in a proactive sense, which is positive curiosity um, are the energies that you exude a timeout might be in order and just say, I'm just trying to understand. So I'm able to serve the group. So your intention is you want to be helpful and you want the group to be, you know, wildly successful. And could we just pause? I'm not really sure. I know I'm not exactly following. Right. And there may be others. You can look around, see if people are nodding their heads. So you start to get a sense of we, and then, you know, 
help us understand just asking questions as opposed to telegraphing an answer. So again, it takes some thought about how you might reword this because generally our default thing is we want to state the fact that we think is right, which and it may very well be mm -hmm. right, Jackson, but to create receptivity <coughs> in other person's part is the, is the trick. Okay. Does that make sense? <coughs> yeah. That's so then, yeah. So there is a, um, there is a, for folks listening, there's a habit that we tend to have because in our heads, we're like, wow, that's, that's the wrong answer, right? So we're just, we're about getting to the right answer, which is absolutely, we do want to have the right results, correct? It's the relational dimension, the relationship piece that really sets up the highest performance. So if we think about who, where is that person at? You know, how can I come across in a way that creates receptivity? And I know this is happening kind of in microseconds, but that's the real opportunity for the most skillful people is to, to understand, see how it's going from a, if you will, fact and, and task standpoint, but appreciate the, the um, interpersonal dynamics. So let me ask you a question stepping back for your team. When you folks got together, Jackson, did you set up um, how we would work as a team? I'm curious how you folks kicked off your your uh, working together? Uh, we definitely didn't set up anything like that. We didn't really discuss how we'd have a team dynamic. We just got together and we started our work from the get-go. I think we did introductions and within 10 minutes we had started working. Got it. So I think people listening, that happens pretty much all the time and that can work. For teams that are going to stay around a while, the opportunity to spend a little more time on the who the people are is always great because it you know it's it's um it's i can see you if i've gotten to know you opportunity so anyone on a team you know someone may be jumping in there may be a default leader there may not it might be you know we're going to be in it a while and the data shows really that the highest performing teams really are very intentional about how they want to work together anyone could say this and I bet we've got some great strengths um, on this team that we want to tap into. And I know we've got some weaknesses. I know I have some weaknesses. I wouldn't want us to, you know, want us to mitigate. So what do folks think? Let's spend a little bit of time and just going around and sharing, creating space for folks' stories. You can say, look at that, spend three or four minutes, right? And then thinking about, you know, any sports team, how do we want to be and letting people co-create what's important to them. There are things like deadlines and, um, um, disagreeing with people, obvious things that people do. But this notion of co-creating and saying, look, at, let's just see what, you know, what is going to help us to thrive is a question I used to I like to ask. And people are like, what? So yeah, no, what's going to help us to thrive? Because some people like a positive environment, right? And I know, so when you start to realize what it takes, folks can co-create that. And then a really important thing for the team is, hey, we're getting along really great. At some point, we're going to have some conflict, which is going to be a good thing because we want to hear different points of view. How do we want to be when that happens? And so the kinds of answers might be, well, let's not make it personal. Let's try to get to the facts. Let's put ourselves in each other's shoes. So those are some things that um, even if it's a, a couple, a team that hangs out for a week or two or something that's longer, you can be proactive in creating an environment um, that, that really, one, is fun and two, gets the job done. How's that land for you? Hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. Is there any way you can still do that months into the project or does it kind of have to be done in the beginning? Thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. So this is a part of your um, power of observation, which I let folks know it's the skillful part isn't just what you say. It might be, you know what? I just, just on a call <laughs> and you can blame me. And I'm realizing that we want, you know, we really want to make this great project and we never spent like very much time thinking about how we work together. And I'm a sports person, but, you know, name your favorite sports team. They don't just all run out on the field, okay? <laughs> they have this sense of how do we combine. So you can say, hey, what do you guys think? What if we take a step back? Let's rewind a bit, you know, and share a little bit about ourselves so we can really appreciate. Because we all have great stories. Everyone's got great stories. And if you don't have a lot of time, you can just share, hey, what's something you struggle with? And that's a real, you know, Vulnerability is a must for trust, folks have heard me say. So you can say, look at, you know, what are some of the things we struggled with? And it starts to create this real um, respect because people have gone through a lot, even in your young lives. And then you can kind of roll it from there. So uh, this has been so fun. Do you have a top takeaway from all the stuff we've covered, Jackson? Uh, top takeaway, I suppose, phrasing is in such a manner that 
the the person you were trying to get your message across to puts themselves in your shoes or someone else's shoes. Fantastic. That's a huge one. And, and for the literally countless adults, I wish they could come with that top, top takeaway because we'd have a lot better conversations at work if that happened, Jackson. <laughs> so you take care. You've been super to call in and you know how to reach me. So I can be of help. Duh, let me know. Um, and thank you for being part of the solution. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Talk to you soon. Oh, we love, we love, we love the young people. What uh, an inspiration, and I think very timely with the spring season. Uh, I have one quick LinkedIn question that I saw, and a gal, Sandra, put this out on another post, and it was funny. Often people don't respond to my question in email. They respond in some other direction. Um, so they make me ask it twice or they don't respond at all. And there was quite a few people who jumped in. Oh, my gosh, people don't respond to my question. And people started offering all sorts of solutions. So for the folks that this happens, you're like wondering, gosh, it's just me. I, I emailed you a question and I want to reply, right? It seems pretty basic. You're, you're mystified. Rather than go back and forth over email, because that's obviously not working so great, this might be an opportunity to pick up the phone and say, oh, Joe. This is Sandra. How are you? Hey, I'm noticing that I send this, you know, a question off to you, and then I get an answer back. And obviously, you know, I want to make sure that I'm communicating to you in a medium that, that works for you. What works for you? And ask. I know that seems crazy, but I think a lot of folks are, are missing maybe an easy answer. Ask and then say, by the way, I'm a real stickler, and part of my job is to get this stuff back on time. So um, I'll I'll put the time that it's due and the subject line and what have you. But if I haven't heard back, you know, what I'd like to do is I'll, I'm going to call you directly and ask you for it. So just get permission for however you're going to handle it when that person doesn't follow through because that's going to happen because people get busy and create fun things like a nudge, nudge, a smiley face. But, you know, so for folks who are frustrated by that, I would offer just try something different and hopefully that will give you a much better outcome. And my thought for the week. We don't need to wait for the new normal, the next normal, uh, the whole redefinition of life. It's going to happen. We're all co-creating that. I want to give you permission that you can thrive even now. Okay? Even in a situation, day by day, think about what thrive means to you and go for it. There's no need to wait around. I feel a lot of folks are, are, are um, hanging in the air here. and I'm going to encourage you in whatever that small way might be. Uh, to kind of take the bull by the horns um, and redefine what Thrive is and to go for it now. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share the show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program 
so they say it skillfully too. 